0: little more space. All right, let's pray. (laughs) Father, I'm grateful for your word. It's a miracle uh, that we have it. You know, 40 authors written on three continents, written in three languages, and yet there's one author behind it all, uh, the Holy Spirit. And Lord, your word says amazing things about it. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Father, your word is precious, and you don't you don't call us to worship it. Uh, it, it points to a person. It points to Jesus, and it, it's meant to display His glory. And I pray, Lord, that as we unfold Your Word today, and as we pick out what it what it is saying, that you would be seen, that you would be glorified, that your truth would be seen clearly, and it, it alone has the power to change lives, and you use it to change lives, and I pray that you would do that today in this service, and I ask this in the name of your son, amen. If you live life long enough, one thing that you come to realize is that it can be really mundane sometimes. You go to work on Monday. You stay for about 8, 9, 10 hours. You come home. And you eat dinner. You might spend time with family. And that's, that's pretty much it for the day. Go to sleep. And then the next day, you do it all over again. Tuesday comes. It's the same thing. You know, Wednesday. Thursday, Friday, and then you have the weekend. You know, the whole week, you look forward to the weekend. You know, Saturday comes, you, know, you have recreation time, maybe spend some time with your family, do something fun. You know. And Sunday, if you get up on time, you might even go to church and enjoy your day. And as you go through this weekly cycle, what you look forward to most are vacations or weddings or times of enjoyment, and you look forward to these, and, and, and that's what gets you through those, those, the weekly grind of life. And, and as you go through this, you have entertainment. You, know, you go to a ball game, you go to a concert, you, know, you play a game of cards, uh, you play Settlers of Catan, <laughs> whatever, to, just to get through. And one thing you have to ask yourself is, is there more to life than this? And one thing I want to make clear to you today is that life is far more interesting than you realize. Your life is far more interesting than you realize. The only reason that you're here today listening to this sermon is because God put you here. The only reason that you're breathing right now, the only reason that you exist is because God decided that you would exist. And you find yourself right now in a story. And it's not a story like Lord of the Rings or the Chronicles of Narnia or Harry Potter or Peter Pan. You know, those are great stories. But the story that you find yourself in is far superior to those stories. It's, it's this story. You, you, every person, whether they realize it or not, is in the story of the Bible. And God is the author. And any story... The, what, what the author does is he inserts characters you know, to, play the, to play a role uh, for, to fulfill the ultimate purpose of the story. And God has put each of you in this story. He's the author of this life and he put you here. He decided that you would live in America in the 21st century. He decided that you would be listening to this sermon right now. Life is far more interesting than you realize. And every good story has a climax. A point where it all comes down to this. It's a breaking point. And you know what? This has a climax. And it took place 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem at Golgotha when Jesus Christ went to the cross. Human history was hanging in the balance when he went to the cross. And he died for the sins of the world. And then he did something that science can't explain, that nothing in this world can explain. He was raised from the dead on the third day. And you know what? There's going to be another climax to this story. And that's when he returns. And he's going to split the sky. He's going to come from the heavens, and he's going to come to this earth, and he's going to gather all those who are his. Last week... Guy Runkle looked at God's plan for the world before there even was a creation. God had a design for this world before there was a planet Earth, before there was anything, before you existed. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to concentrate on God's unveiling of his master plan, how it took place on the ground. And it was accomplished through one person, Jesus. And we will see in our text this morning uh, this reality. So if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. And we'll be, we'll be looking at the very text that Dave Anderson just read. And if you're using a Red Pew Bible, or I'm sorry, that was Greg Walters who read it. Sorry about that. <laughs> I think Dave read last week. But if you're using a Red Pew Bible, it's on page 976. Nine seventy-six, And our text is verses 7 through 10. Follow along with me as I read. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God's master plan of redemption, accomplished through Christ, is the most essential truth in the world. God's master plan of redemption, accomplished through Christ, is the most essential truth in the world. Last week, Guy unfolded God's plan that you were chosen by him. You know, if, if you are following God today, if you are following Christ, that means that you were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. This is not something that just happened randomly. This, there's, there's so much beyond this that you could ever understand. And what we saw in last week's text is that God planned to pour out his grace upon you. The way in which he poured out his grace upon you is the subject of this sermon. It came through Jesus. And if you look at the text, in verse 6, it says, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. So this means that you are blessed because of your association with Christ. And so who is the beloved here, in verse 6? You are blessed in the beloved. The beloved here is referring to Christ. And verse 7 tells us that you have redemption in him. Now, I know Dave's been talking a lot lately, Pastor Dave's been talking a lot about these prepositions. You know, these little words like in and with and through. I mean, they're they're those tiny words that you just breeze right over and and you never pay attention to, but they're actually, they're extremely important and We see this at the beginning of verse 7 when it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood. And what the words in Him mean is that you have redemption nowhere else but through Jesus. So in Him you have redemption. And this text, verses 7 through 10 in Ephesians 1, reveals three reasons. Why Christ's work of redemption is the most essential truth in the world. The first reason is that this text reveal or Christ's finished work is your only hope of being rescued. The first reason is Christ's finished work is your only hope of being rescued. Now the Bible makes a very exclusive claim that the forgiveness of your sins only comes in one place. Uh, Acts 4.11 and 12 says that salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name among heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.5 says that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. John 14.6 Jesus says it in his own words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's a when I say exclusive, I mean there there aren't multiple paths. There's one path. Jesus is making an exclusive claim and the Bible is making an exclusive claim about him. When Jesus went to the cross, he achieved your redemption. And in verse 7 it says, "In him we have redemption through his blood." And of course, this is referring to the to the blood that he shed at the cross. In redemption, you know, it's, it's an important theological word that you see pop up throughout the New Testament. Uh, the dictionary defines it as deliverance or rescue from sin. It's used nine times in the New Testament, and in each circumstance, it refers to deliverance or rescue. And when we talk about the gospel, you know, we talk, we, it, the gospel means the good news. We talk about the good news. But there's only good news if there's first bad news. You know, and the bad news is, is that you are a sinner. Both by nature and by choice. And one thing that, I, that I've enjoyed watching is uh, Kirk Cameron. You know, many of you remember him from his growing pains days. You know, he became a Christian after that time. <laughs> and he and, a, and one of his friends, Ray Comfort, what they do is they go around and they go through the Ten Commandments. They, they go to different people, and they talk about Jesus, and they say, you know, have you disobeyed your parents? Have you lied? Have you stolen? Have you, have you looked at another person with lustful intent? You know, and without fail, every person, if they're honest, says, yeah, I have. And so what, what they say is, well, according to your own words, you're a liar, a thief, an adulteress, and an idolater And you can, you can just go on and on and on, and it's overwhelming. And you know, and if every one of us today here is honest, you know, you've cheated. You've lied. You've committed sexual sin. You've disobeyed your parents. You've worshipped other idols before God. So everyone in this room is guilty. And don't think of your sin as merely do, uh, rule-breaking rule-keeping and rule-breaking because it, it's, it's so much more than that. It's, your sin is rebellion against a holy God. And all you have to do is look back to the Garden of Eden because God told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he said, you can eat of all of these trees, but there's one tree that you cannot eat from. And so what do they do? They eat from the tree. And you might say, well, Okay, he took a bite out of an apple. I mean, is it really that big of a sin? Yes, it is, because he says, you know what? We don't want to do it your way. We want to do it our way. And that's essentially what sin is. You're taking things in your own hands, and you're saying, I like my way better. I'm going to run the world the way that I want to run it. And if you look at the world around you, that's all we see. And one analogy that I've been thinking about lately is, you know, when a criminal runs from the law and, you know, obviously the authorities are after him or after her and they, and they, they want to catch that person, you know. And w- what if this fugitive, this criminal who is running from the law happens to do something nice? You know, let's say, let's say they walk a little old lady across the street or let, let's say they, you know, pay for someone's bill or, or you know, they, they might do something nice as they're running from the law but the authorities, the police who are after that person, are they going to be, are they going to be impressed by that? Of course not. They're, they're going to arrest this person, and they're going to bring him to jail, and, there's, and there will be justice. And, and so, as you look over your life, if, if you're disobedient to God, that's, what he, that's what's going to happen to you. you know, if you're not following God and you're doing good things, God's not impressed. Because what you are doing is you are in a state of rebellion against him. So your sin is far worse than you realize. And you can only begin to obey God once once you repent and turn from your sins. And And he gives you his spirit and righteousness. You can actually do things that aren't selfish. Righteousness can flow out of you. So I hope that makes sense. You have a debt of sin that stands against you. And when you believe in Jesus, two things happen to you. You are rescued, redeemed, and your sins are erased. And if you look at verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Okay? So when you, when you, this, what this redemption brings is, for, is forgiveness of sins. You know, Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12 say, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Okay, think about what this text is saying. You know, what guy preached last week, what I'm preaching today, and what Pastor Dave is going to preach n- next week. God chose the redeemed before the foundation of the world. Christ secured your redemption 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem at, Gal- at Golgotha. And in your life, You believed. And Christ's work was credited to you. Verses 13 and 14, this is how it played out in your life. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Okay. So this is the first reason. The first reason that Christ's work of redemption is the most essential truth is that He is your only hope of being rescued. The second reason that Christ's work of redemption is the most essential truth is that God poured out his grace upon you as as he unveiled the mystery of his will. God poured out his grace upon you as he unveiled the mystery of his will. Look with me at the end of verse 7 through verse 8. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight... And then the first part of verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will. So all of this happens because of God's grace towards you. And, and grace is one, of those, is one of those terms that we could kind of throw around loosely. You know, what does this actually mean? Uh, one of my professors said it very simply, and I think this is helpful. God's grace is when God gives you what you do not deserve. He gives you what you do not deserve. And, and his mercy... Is when he doesn't give you what you deserve, and when it says lavished, it says that he he lavished his grace upon you. This is, means he, he's not he's not stingy as he's pouring this out on you. He wants to give it to you, and he, and it's it's poured out like a bucket of water over you. And for God to send Christ, this was not a last minute decision. Don't think of of this as a last minute decision. Don't don't think of this as a plan B. This was plan A that that God set up when He sent Christ. It was planned. And it was a mystery. We all love mysteries. This was a mystery for thousands of years. Making and, and it and it says here, he was making known to us the mystery of his will. Now, this was a mystery to Old Testament believers. You know, they followed God just like we do. You know, and they're saved the same way we are. By grace, through faith, in, in believing in the one true God. But, they didn't know how it was, it was going to play out. They didn't know that a man by the name of Jesus, God in the flesh, was going to come to the earth and hang on a cross and pay for the sins of the world. They didn't know that. But, People nowadays do because we can look back and say, "Okay, this is how it happened." And when I was uh, 13 years old, my favorite show on TV was Unsolved Mysteries. You remember that show? And the two things that made the show were Robert Stack. He was kind of a creepy figure. He played the role really well. And secondly, it was the, you know the music was really good too. I liked I liked that. But what I would do is I would ride my bike up to my friend Kevin's house, and we would watch we would watch it at his house and what they would do is they would present stories of mysteries that have happened. And they, they would at the beginning, they would present every story as if it was not solved. But then sometimes at the end of the story, what they would do is they would say, update, it's been solved. And they, and they would show how it's been solved. But sometimes the mysteries were never solved. And when it comes to the redemption of Christ, this was a mystery that was unknown. But... You know what? It's not unknown anymore. It's been revealed. God's plan of redemption, a mystery that was hidden to Old Testament people, has now been revealed. So we have no excuse. We, we know how it played out. We don't, have to, we don't have to look ahead. We can look back. And we are fascinated with mysteries. What, what happened to the, to, to the planes in the Bermuda Triangle? You know? What happened more recently to the Malaysia flight? Who killed John Kennedy? You know, Roswell, New Mexico. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, and conspiracy theorists make a living off of it. You know, we don't, we don't know a lot of stuff. But what we do know is the, what God's plan of redemption was, and it was accomplished through Jesus Christ at the cross 2,000 years ago. So God's plan of redemption is not a mystery, even though there are mysteries out there, okay? And one thing I want to point out, is in the Old Testament. Old Testament believers would read a passage like Isaiah 53. You know, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, who does this describe? Yeah. Jesus. Do you know when this was written? 700, 700 years before Jesus came to the earth. You know, and it's vivid details. You know, an Old Testament believer is going to read this and they're going to, they're going to be a little, they're be like, okay, well, good. <laughs> but now we look back and say, wow, this is a prophecy that's been fulfilled, it, uh, a mystery that's been revealed through Christ. So now that we know God's plan of redemption, my question to you is, what are you going to do about it? Will you believe it? Or will you reject it? Will you reject the truth of the Bible? You know, this is a book that has been believed by so many people through, through the years. But it's also been maligned by many people who, who, are, who in fact are rebels themselves. And they don't see it that way, but they are. So are, are you going to believe the truth of the Bible or not? And I encourage you, believe it, because it's true. The third reason that the redemption of Christ is the most essential truth in the world is that apart from Christ's finished work, heaven and earth would remain in chaos. Apart from Christ's finished work, heaven and earth would remain in chaos. Okay, the second half of verse 9 through verse 10. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Okay, so God chose this specific time in history to reveal his plan. And as I've been saying throughout this whole sermon, this was, this was planned. This was not, this was not a last-minute decision. Acts or sorry, Acts 2.23 and 24 says that this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then two chapters later in Acts 4.27 and 28, for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Okay, that's crystal clear. That, that God, God designed that the redemption would take place through Christ. They even, he even mentions names here. He, he, God planned that it would happen with Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles, who, who are the Romans, who were who the ones who actually nailed them to the cross. God ordained that it would be this point in history. And when we see the words, the fullness of time, this agrees with what Paul says in a a different book, Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. When he says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Okay, so we wonder, okay, well, why did he choose that time in history? Well, Paul says, you know, it was the fullness of time. It was the time that God had set aside. And the cross of Christ was central to God's plan from the very beginning. And it took place at the fullness of time. And as you look at the world around us, one thing you, you must realize is that all of creation would be completely out of whack if this did not take place. When the climax of the story is taken out, the story loses its meaning. It's no longer a good story. You know, we, we have conversations with Muslims and they don't believe that Jesus died on the cross. And I'm thinking, okay, this life is pretty pathetic if this didn't happen because what we're, we're just doing good and bad things and hoping that we can go to paradise? It, no, it's so much more than that. It, it would be like You know, if the crucifixion of Christ wasn't the central thing, and if it never happened, it would be like the author of a Superman story taking out the part where Superman comes to the rescue. That's what it would be like. And the the story loses its meaning. Once Christ accomplished his work, he brings everything under him. He unites all things to himself. If you look at the second half of verse 10, this is what it states so clearly. He, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So this includes you. you know, you're a part of God's creation. And in fact, you're God's greatest creation because you're the, only, you're the only being in the universe who was created in the image of God, which means that you are God-like. He, he has an amazing plan for human beings and the future of the human race. And you are united to him. And not only are you united to him through the redemption of Christ, but also the entire universe is united. And so when it says all things, this includes angels. And you might ask, well, how, why do angels need to be united to Christ? Aren't, you know, they didn't fall. And I'm not talking about Satan and the demons who did fall. I'm talking about angels who never sinned and who are perfect creatures. Uh, well, the answer is angels depend as much on their creator as humans do because they were created as well. They are part of God's plan of redemption, not in the sense that they need to be redeemed, but in the sense that they play a role in serving God in bringing humans to redemption. Uh, Hebrews 1.14 says this. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who who are to inherit salvation. So that's the role that God has for angels. So angels and redeemed humans, they're on the same team. Obviously, if you're not a believer in Christ and you're you're in rebellion to God, you're you're not on the same team as an angel because these angels are on God's side and you're not. But once you're united to Christ, you are on the same team and you're all united under him. So in this way, angels are gathered together. And Christ brings order to the to the cosmos, to the universe. And all you have to do is look around to see that this is a very messed up place. You know, you turn on the news, you see all these disasters. It you see it every day. You know, John Calvin said that out of Christ, what we can perceive in the world is mere runes. It's true. But when Christ returns, the curse will be lifted and the universe will be restored. You know, Romans 8 gives this picture that, that, that the creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth until now. And, and they, they're longing to be released from the curse that they are under. And, 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 that's what, and that's the effect of sin. But one day, this curse will be lifted and all of creation will be, will be set free. And this only happens because of the redemption of Christ. That's why everything is so central. Everything, is, everything comes down to that. So because of Christ's finished work, there is a future for this world. He is redeeming a people who will be like him. And those are the people who are going to inhabit this new world. So, so your life is far more interesting than you realize. This, this, is, this is the future. This is what we're going towards. And it's all, it's all accomplished in Christ. Christ. This world at one time was not broken, but it, for, for a long time it has been broken. And one day it won't be broken again. This is the story that you find yourself in. So Christ takes all this chaos in the world and he unites it to himself. You know, he's a great savior. So what should you take out from all of this, from this sermon? I think this, this should change the way that you live your daily life. You know, in the mundaneness, in the boring aspects of life, this should change the way you live. Because you find yourself in the greatest story ever told. It should inspire you, it should motivate you to live for God. And this should motivate you to put selfish ambitions behind you. If, if your goal in life is to get rich, if your goal in life is, is to be successful by worldly standards, you, you're, your life is going to end in a tragedy because you're not, God, the author of this story, is not painting you in a very good light. You, you need to turn from that and you need to, you need to submit to him. You, you need to no longer rebel and follow him and be a part of his great plan for this world. So do you tell others about God's plan of redemption? Do you tell others who are in the midst of this bad news, do you tell them about the good news of what Jesus did? Are your priorities in the right place? Examine your life. Look over it. And secondly, for you to be a part of this plan of redemption that God has and, and sharing it to people, you must first be rescued yourself. So if you're here today and you have never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, I, my prayer is that you would believe in him today. Is that you would follow him. And that, as this, as this text says, that you would experience the forgiveness of your trespasses. And that his righteousness would be credited to you. And that you would be his. Turn from it. And, and you can do it right now. Just believe in him. And after the service, we'll have an elder up here who you can talk to. Take advantage of that. God's master plan of redemption through Christ is the most essential truth in the world. Christ's finished work is your only hope of being rescued. God poured out his grace upon you as as he unveiled the mystery of his will. And apart from Christ's finished work, heaven and earth would remain in chaos. But the good news is, because of his finished work, it won't remain in chaos. So be united to the only redeemer of this world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Indeed, our, our lives are far more interesting than we realize. And Lord, it's, it's a tragedy that most people can go through life without this realization. Most people can go through life you know, and, and not even think about spiritual things. Not even think about what's going to happen to them when this is all over. Because it, it will be over one day. And Lord, the, the wisest thing we can do is to trust you and to trust your word and to listen to you and to believe that you have a plan for us as, as it's laid out so clearly in scripture. So help us to be wise people. You know, it, the, the passage that I read at the beginning, that your word makes wise the simple. And I pray that we live lives, Lord, that, that plan for eternity and, and that we would help others plan for eternity. You know, that's our purpose here. Uh, and, and Lord, I pray that, you know, the preaching of your word that, that you would cause it to, to change people's hearts towards you. We ask this in the name of your Son, in whom is our hope. Amen. Okay. Well, this Sunday is the last Sunday for a dear family who's been with us um, for a, a long time. <laughs> I, I remember, what, 10, 15 years you've, you've been going here? And so the Ponauts, um, they're going to be going to Florida, and they're gonna be going to be actually living in, in Naples, Florida, and it's, it's kind of nice because the Mackeys are also from Naples, so our, we're gonna, we should start like a church plant down there or something. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to send them off today, and so what we're going to do is um, I'm going to turn it over to Wayne, and he's going to give the benediction, and we're all going to gather around them. And we're going we're gonna to send them off in the right way. And, you know, one thing it says in the book of John is that, you know, we, you, don't worship, you worship God in spirit and in truth. Uh, which means that there's not a certain place for you, where you worship God. You can worship him wherever you are, whether you're in Minnesota or Florida or the moon. You know, wherever you are, you can worship, you know, you worship the creator. So we're going to send them off here. Thank you, Seth.
1: Thank you. Seth. Mm-hmm. Um, As he has gone before me and told everything that you need to know, they are leaving for Florida. It's a dream job for Dan, and it's a dream for Deb. Yes? Yes. And uh, so we want to uh, gather as a congregation around them today and pray for them. Uh, This is a process. There's a number of steps that have to go through, and it always doesn't go like clockwork either. But uh, we would just ask God would lead them, Uh, in the steps as well as finding a a church home there and the girls as they go off to college this summer now and uh, Mound will no longer be home if you will (laughs) so anyway if you would gather around uh, ask them to come in the center and gather around and pray Uh, just put hands on them and uh, pray as a congregation for them uh, this morning let's let's come back in the center where more folks can get at you And then when we're done uh, praying, I'll ask Dave Brickley to do the uh, benediction. So, where's Dave? In the back. In the back. Oh, there he is.